So here we are today. Our message today is entitled Hosanna to the Son of David. And of course, that's taken from the passage that we looked at, which is uh, actually a quotation from one of the Psalms that we'll look at in a moment as well. But today, as many of you know, today is what is traditionally called Palm Sunday. And, and this day commemorates the day that Jesus rode uh, into Jerusalem on, uh, seated upon a donkey, and the one and only time that he ever allowed people to publicly uh, acknowledge his messiahship. So other times when people um, were healed or, or something to that effect, and they went out to, you know, to spread the word that the Messiah is here, Jesus uh, encouraged them or discouraged them from, from really doing that because this was a, a specific day. This was a day that God had planned from the very beginning that on this particular day that he would be revealed to Israel as the long-awaited Messiah. So uh, the church has referred to this day as Palm Sunday. That's a tradition. We read here that they cut down branches from the trees and they laid them in the road. And uh, John in his gospel actually says that they were palm branches. So that's how we ended up referring to this day as uh, Palm Sunday. But this day would mark the beginning of the final week of the public ministry of Jesus and also the final week of his earthly life. And so as you put all the stories together, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all, they all record the same thing. It's, it's just slightly different with each of them. You know, some give details that others don't. But as you piece it all together, you see that uh, there were basically three uh, different kinds of responses from the crowd that was there today. There were, there were those that were elated. There were those that were so uh, absolutely thrilled. This was the moment that they had longed for, the moment when the Jesus that they had come to believe in would, would now publicly declare himself to be the Savior. So there was that group. But then there was uh, another group that was perplexed. They weren't quite sure who, who he was or, or what was going on. And so we read right there in the text, they asked, who is this? And the response was, this is Jesus, uh, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. But there was one other group that was there, and that would be the group of the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians. And this group was very disturbed by the things that were happening that day. And they were enraged that Jesus would allow these people to make reference to him as the Messiah. And so they, they actually said to Jesus, they said, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Don't let them say these things about you. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth. If they were to be silent, the very stones would cry out. So there was no stopping what was happening on that day because this was the day that God had designated for the Savior to come to the nation. Now, in, in this passage here, 
there are three prophetic texts that are being fulfilled. And I want us to just kind of walk through those uh, three prophetic texts. Psalm 118, Daniel chapter 9, and Zechariah chapter 9. And so what we need to understand is, number one, that all of this is a, a very specific fulfillment of prophecy. And it, number two, it reminds us that God is faithful to fulfill his prophetic word right to the very, right down to the very day. And we'll see that as we look at it in a moment. But in uh, Psalm 118, verses 19 through 26, you don't have to turn there, but you might wanna jot it down and go back and look at it later. Uh, let me read to you what it says. It says, open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go through them and I will praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. I will praise you for you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. Now, as, as you heard that, maybe there were a couple of things that stood out to you there. So for one, the, the statement there, um, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Later on, if we keep following the story through this week as Jesus is there in the city in this final week before he goes to the cross, um, much of the week is spent really in um, debate with the religious leaders uh, at the time. And, and they're in this one exchange that's taking place. And of course, they're rejecting him. Jesus said to them, uh, haven't you read that the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? So, so that's taken from this 118th Psalm. But did you also notice there the phrase, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Now, of course, we can take that and we could apply that to any day we wanted to, especially if we're having a good day. We can say, this is the day the Lord has made. But this was a prophecy about this specific day. This is the day. Because as you finish up reading the, the psalm there, it goes into save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray now, send prosperity. This is the exact thing that the people were saying as Jesus was coming down the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem. Now, the word Hosanna means save now. So the New Testament just brings over the, uh, the older language, but here our English New Testament just translates it as it as it actually means, uh, save now. So this was the cry of the people. So this whole scene was a fulfillment of prophecy. Now, when John writes about this event, he says that when it was happening, we didn't really realize, it, it, in other words, what, what he's saying is, we, we were caught up in the middle of this prophecy and we didn't realize it at the time. But later, when we reflected on it, we realized that everything that the prophets had said about this day, John said, we, we lived it. 
we were there experiencing it. So it was this particular day. This is the day the Lord has made. Now, if you look at the ninth chapter of Daniel in the 25th verse, there God declared to Daniel the very, um, again, the very day that the Messiah would come to Israel. And this is what he said. He said, from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah shall be a 69 seven-year periods. 69 seven-year periods. That equals 483 years. So, from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be 69 seven-year periods, 483 years. Now, if you break that down into days, it is uh, 173,880 days. And this is based on a 360-day calendar, which was the Babylonian calendar during that time. So the starting point is from the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. That command was given by the Persian king Artaxerxes to Nehemiah on the 14th of March of 445 BC. So now, so from the, from the command to restore and rebuild until the Messiah comes will be 483 years or 173,880 days. So we start, our starting date is March 14th, 445 BC. As we go out 173,880 days, this is the day the Lord has made, that takes you to April 6, 32 AD. And that would have been the day that we're reading about here. This is the day that the Lord has made. The very day as the, as the angel told Daniel that the Messiah would come. Now, there's one more prophecy, and it's the one that uh, Matthew quoted. It's from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. And Matthew quotes most of it, but he leaves out one line. And I think the reason he left out one line is because what he was really wanting to do is to just use it as a, a reference for people to go back to and look at what it said. So he's, he says, Jesus, you know, coming into the city on this donkey, he said, this is what the prophet said. Zechariah 9.9 says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Here's the part Matthew left out. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So all of these three prophecies, we see they're actually being fulfilled in this one event. And we need to remember that God is faithful to his word. You know, one of, the, one of the evidences for the inspiration of scripture, you know, people will ask, well, you know, why should I believe the Bible is God's inspired word? I mean, it's, 
you know, a lot of people think, well, the Bible was just written by men. Well, the scriptures themselves tell us that holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Spirit of God. But one of the, the, the built-in proof for the inspiration of scripture is prophecy. So God tells in advance the things that are going to happen. And we see that beautifully fulfilled in this passage here, uh, right down to all of those very uh, interesting details. The Lord riding into the city that day, being hailed as uh, the Messiah, save now, Lord, and doing so on the back of a donkey as Zechariah said he would. Now, this is the day the Lord had made, and God had uh, an intended purpose on this day. This was the day when th this was supposed to be the best, the greatest day in Israel's history. This is the day that they, they have waited for, for all of their history. From the very beginning, uh, as, as the nation is being established, God tells Abraham that through him and his descendant, singular, all of the nations of the world are going to be blessed. So from the very beginning of the nation, Abraham's the father of the nation. So from the very beginning, there's this messianic hope. There's this expectation that this descendant of Abraham is gonna come and he's gonna bring a blessing to the whole world. So, so this is really the, I mean, in many ways, this is like the, the reason for the nation's existence. So this is that moment that they had uh, been waiting for, at least, of, uh, of course, it seemed that they had been waiting for this moment. It was to be their greatest day. It was the day of their long-awaited salvation. But tragically, instead, it became the day that would plague them throughout the rest of their history right down to this very day. Because instead of being the day when Messiah comes and is received, it was the day Messiah came but was rejected. And of course, God knew all of this in advance because the, the prophecy in Daniel, if we read it just a little bit further, it said, you know, the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah shall be 69, seven-year periods. And then it says, and Messiah shall be cut off. Messiah shall be executed, stated there. So obviously God knew in advance, but nevertheless, this is the opportunity that the nation has. But as Luke tells us, who gives us a little more detail about the events surrounding this, Luke tells us that as Jesus drew near and he saw the city, it was here that Jesus wept over the city. So he's coming down, if you could... Imagine in your mind, he's coming down uh, from the Mount of Olives, which is on the east side of Jerusalem. And from the top of the Mount of Olives, you have an amazing view of the city. And so as he's coming down the Mount of Olives, viewing uh, the city, and as the people are shouting, some with, with joy and, and others in consternation that you know people would be... Uh, insinuating that this was the Messiah. As all of this is going on, Jesus, Luke tells us, wept over the city. And this is what he said. 
He said, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day. See, we're back to the day. This is the day the Lord has made. If you had known, especially in this your day, (coughs) the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. So that was the great tragedy that just as God had declared to the very day that God had stated Messiah comes, but he's, he's rejected. And the, the nation then um, is set aside for their rejection and the peace that was potentially theirs, uh, they have never experienced. And that condition is still the condition that remains today with Israel. And anybody who pays any attention to the news about Israel, which Israel, of course, is in the news on a regular basis these days. Jerusalem is in uh, (coughs) the news on a regular basis these days and has been since the reestablishment of the state 70 years ago. Um, What is the, the constant endeavor is to attain peace. That's, that's, that's the, the goal, the objective is, you know, to, to be able to, to attain peace. But um, because they've rejected the, the Savior, as, as Jesus said, there, there would be no peace. But, but if they had known, especially in this their day, the things that belong to their peace, but now they would be hidden from their eyes. And they will continue to be hidden from their eyes until the day Jesus later would say this to them, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So there is a, uh, a revisiting of this whole thing that will happen in the future, that Jesus will come back again to Jerusalem, but when he comes back again, he will, that time in the future, he will be embraced by the nation. But as we look closely at what the people are crying out for, they're crying out for salvation, right? Save now. Save now. Son of David, save us now. But the problem was they, they didn't know what they really needed to be saved from. They thought they knew. And, and herein lies the, the mystery as to why the, the nation rejected Jesus as a Messiah. Even to this day, people are perplexed. How, you know, how is it that Israel rejected the Messiah? Why did they do that? Well, they did it for, for really one simple reason. And, and that one simple reason was they did not want the kind of salvation that he offered. He was offering them salvation, but it wasn't the salvation they were... Um, desiring. They wanted a political salvation. You see, for them, their problems were all political. The problems were due to the fact that uh, there were foreigners that ruled over them. They were under the Roman oppression. So in their mind, the Messiah is going to solve our problems by getting rid of this Roman oppression. Now, they had obviously forgotten that they had um, been oppressed even by their own rulers at times throughout their history. 
But, but this was their idea. If they could just you know, be freed from Rome's oppression, then this would you know, create this wonderful peace. And Jesus wasn't offering that kind of a salvation. He wasn't offering a political salvation. They were, they were looking for a, a physical material type of salvation. In other words, they were looking for a salvation that would just solve their external problems. But you see, Jesus was offering a different salvation. And he's offering the same thing today. And this, again, is one of the reasons why the world disregards Jesus today. What is the world looking for today? Well, the world's looking for a political solution, right? The world, and I'm just speaking, you know, generally, uh, you know, give us a, give us a solution, give it, fix our problems, you know, get rid of our debt and uh, get us out of poverty and help us with the, these things, and, and that'll that'll create the, this wonderful world. Uh, today, of course, the big thrust is equality. When we have a, a world that's filled with equality instead of inequality, we're going to have the perfect world. And that's the utopia that people are uh, longing for and, and working toward. And they think that's the solution, just like they thought that back at the time of Jesus. But it's not nor is the solution found in just the, the merely uh, physical and material. Or we just could make more money or just had better living conditions or if our, you know, we could get a better education or on and on and on. Um, you know, the list is a million miles long. It varies to some degree, but it's similar from person to person. But you see, Jesus came to offer spiritual salvation. And according to God, the problems in the world, the, the global problems, and even the, the more external, physical, material types of problems and uh, inequalities and all of that, those are not really the problem. They're the symptom of the root problem. And the root problem is a spiritual problem. The root problem is a personal problem problem. And in order to fix the world, you have to fix people. You have to start with the individual person. And in order to fix a person, you have to fix them spiritually. And that's what Jesus came to do. And that's what they did not want. They didn't think they needed that. I mean, after all, they were Jews. They were God's chosen people. They were already fixed in their understanding of things. Why would we need Jesus to do that for us? We are the descendants of Abraham, they would say in their hearts. But John the Baptist reminded them, don't say that you're the descendants of Abraham because God can raise up from these stones along the river bank here. He can raise up children for Abraham from these stones. And so here we are, all of these centuries later, but it's really the same type of thing. And the Jesus that rode into Jerusalem approximately 2,000 years ago on that designated day, that same Jesus is living and he's actually offering to all people personally and individually this same salvation. 
This is his offer that is still extended to people today. Jesus offers salvation to you and me, and salvation is, first of all, personal. It's a personal thing. Now, of course, it, it impacts us beyond ourselves, but it starts with us. It is a personal thing. You see, my, my problem is, your problem is, that we are sinners, and as sinners, we are, um, we are disconnected from God. And not only are we disconnected from God, but, but the sin in our lives is that which is eating away at our lives. And what salvation does is salvation brings forgiveness of and deliverance from that sin that separated us from God and is eating away at our lives. And Jesus offers that today. You know, I mentioned just being in New York City yesterday and this past week. And, you know, when you get in a place where there's a heavy concentration of people, uh, you, you get to see, you, know, you, you get to see sin. It's, it's just more up close and personal in, in that kind of, a, of an environment, you know. You know, we are here, we're kind of, you know, you can kind of get in your car and avoid people. And uh, we're not generally out shopping with, with hundreds of people marching down the streets alongside of us. And, you know, that, that's not really our experience here in Orange County so much. But you go, you go to a place of New York City where there's just this intense concentration of people. And, and you just start to see how prevalent sin really is. And, and it's all around you. And you see it with the junkies that are, um, you know, just right there sitting on the streets in the freezing cold, but they're, they're all high on heroin. Or you see it on the street corners when you go into a place like Newark, where I visited with a friend of mine who pastors a church in there. And, and right on the corners, you've got the guys doing their drug deals. You've got the prostitutes looking to hook up there. And then, you know, every few days during the week, you've got somebody shooting somebody else and killing them. I was talking to my friend who pastors in that area. And he was telling me about a kid a few weeks ago. He said, um, you know, we were together at one o'clock. By five o'clock, he was dead. 16 years old. So, you know, you get in these places where you see the, just the reality of sin and, and all of the brokenness and all of the pain and peace is not even anywhere in that kind of environment, you know. You got peace signs everywhere, but there is no actual experience of peace. And the answer to these kinds of things is only in Jesus. And what Jesus came to offer Jerusalem and Israel on that day, that designated day, like I said, Jesus still offers that to individual people today all over the world. That, he's still extending that offer. That if we will come and receive this personal salvation, he will give us his peace. And, it, and it's like we could take what he said to Jerusalem on that day and we could we could just apply it to ourselves. If you only knew the things that make for your peace, think about that. 
if you only knew, especially in this, your, uh, on this your day, the things that make for your peace, think about that for a second. What do we think makes for our peace? If we're thinking that anything other than our sins forgiven and a relationship with God is going to make for our peace, we're mistaken. But that's what makes for peace. That's how we experience peace. Now, I'm using peace broadly. I mean, you could use it for happiness. Uh, it's the same kind of an idea. You know, if you were to ask people in the world today, what do you want more than anything else? People would say happiness. People would say peace. They're, they're talking about the same thing, right? They're talking about uh, a life of, of a life free from agitation, a life free from irritation. What do you think makes for that? Well, Jesus said that, that he is the one who makes for a life of peace. He alone offers us the things that make for our peace because the, the problem is, number one, our disconnection from God. So not only are we disconnected from God, but the biblical picture is that we are at enmity with God. We're his enemies. We're, we're in a war against God. And being at war with our creator and refusing to live the way he created us to live and calls us to live, this, this creates a, um, uh, a, a tumultuous experience in our lives. You know, Isaiah painted the picture of, of that person, that rebel against God, he said, is like the troubled sea. And you've seen, a, uh, you've seen, no doubt, the, the ocean on the day when the strong winds are blowing on shore and it's just, you know, it's not a place that you want to go out on in a boat. It's a troubled sea. And that's, that's the experience of people who live disconnected from and in rebellion to God. So salvation is peace with God. When I received Jesus... I come into a relationship with God where now the war is past and it's a time of peace. And I have now peace with God. And because I have peace with God, I can now have inner peace. I can now have that tranquility within. And when I have that, then that will make its way out of my life in my relationships with other people. So this is the secret to peace. Peace with God equals peace within equals peace without. But unless we have that peace with God, we have no peace within and we will have no peace without. Regardless of the various multitudes of peace treaties that are written, whether literal or just figurative. That, that's the reality. But this is what Jesus came to offer. And as I said, he offered it to them and they did not receive it. And as he said to them, these things are hidden now from your sight. And if you were to take the time to do a, a study of the history of Jerusalem from the time of Christ to today, uh, you would find that it has been a city that has never experienced any peace from that time to this time. 
nor will it until they collectively say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the same is true for individual people. As long as we refuse the salvation that God offers through Christ, we will never have peace. But if we knew and if we embraced him, that peace would be ours. And so on this day that commemorates the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem with the offer of peace for the city, on this day, let's remember that that offer is still available to us. And if you today are with us and you haven't made peace with God by receiving his son, Jesus Christ, and the forgiveness of your sins and the deliverance from that destructive power of sin, if you haven't done that, by all means, do it today. It's like Jesus would say, if you only knew the things that make for your peace, the things you think make for your peace, they don't. They won't. They never will. You can be the richest, the most famous, the most accomplished, the most secluded or isolated, if that's better for you. You, you could be all of those things, but apart from peace with God, there is no peace. And so, and one final thing, just remember that God has given us evidence built into his word that these things are true by telling us in advance exactly what would happen to the very day, 173,880 days from the time that the command goes forth to restore and build until the Messiah. You can mark your calendar. He'll come that day, and he did. And I say that because of this. God's word tells us the truth about everything. It tells the truth about where we came from, why we're here, where we're going. We can bet our lives on it. And just as, just as Jesus showed up on the exact day that the prophet said he would come, so all of God's words will be fulfilled exactly as he declared. And nothing can stop that. Nothing can stop it. Nothing. So the wisest thing we could do is be like those people on that, on that first Palm Sunday who took their garments and threw them on the road and cut down the palm branches. And what were they indicating? They were indicating that they were receiving the Lord who came to save them. And so, Lord, uh, may we be men and women <coughs> like those men and women who opened their hearts to receive you on that day. And Lord, may we receive you on this day. And Lord, I, I pray for anyone that's with us today that maybe has never surrendered to you. They've never known any peace because they've been thinking that it's in all the places that it's not. May they know today that peace is only available through you. And Lord, may they receive you that they might receive that peace with God and peace within, translating to peace in their relationships, just on out into life itself. Lord, we pray for the week ahead of us we're excited about this week, and we pray that 
invitations would go out. We pray that people would be invited to come and people would make their way to come and to hear the great news of your victory over sin and the grave as we gather next weekend. So Lord, use us this week, prepare us for that time, draw many to yourself, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.